and welcome to the latest edition of Tech UK's podcast. My name is Jana Psarska. I'm Policy Manager for International Trade here at Tech UK, and I'm your host of today's podcast. This episode of Tech UK's podcast is focusing on digitization of trade and how digital solutions and platforms can make it easier for SMEs to trade across borders. Small businesses are often faced with challenges associated with the cost and complexity of moving goods across borders, which can render participation in international trade a difficult and costly exercise. Paper-based transactions, which still dominate international trade, are a source of cost, delay, inefficiency and uh, even environmental impact. The international digital trade ecosystem is, however, witnessing a radical transformation, enabling industry to to cut the cost, remove unnecessary bureaucracy and improve transparency and efficiency. Digitization can generate efficiencies and economic savings for SMEs, optimize supply chains and enable more SMEs to participate in global trade. While technology can bring significant uh, time and cost savings to trade, the adoption of digital solutions and digitization of trade documents face a number of challenges, from outdated domestic laws to interoperability of standards. Many of the UK members provide digital platforms and technology solutions such as blockchain, AI or cloud computing to facilitate international trade and open up a range of new opportunities for businesses looking to trade across borders. I'm delighted uh, to be joined today by fantastic guests and experts in digitization of trade from Sage, IBM and uh, Fujitsu. During my next three interviews, we will discuss why paper-based trade doesn't work for businesses and how technology can be leveraged to facilitate paperless trading and improve the efficiency of supply chains. Finally, we will explore what needs to be done to increase digitization of trade, what are the barriers to paperless trading and the wider adoption of digital solutions to trade. We will also touch on what governments and regulators can do to facilitate digitization of trade documents and supply chains. In today's first interview, I'm joined by Adam Prince, who is the Vice President for Product Management at Sage and is also Vice Chair of Tech UK's Trade Working Group. Welcome, Adam. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much, Jana. It's great to be here. Uh, Adam, before we dive uh, into the topic of digitization of trade, could you tell us a little bit more about your role and how do you think about international trade? Certainly. My role at Sage is I sit in the middle of many of the products. So Sage has different products for different markets in different countries. However, there's some things that everybody does. They do a tax return, they connect to their bank, etc. And I look after all of these shared or common services. In terms of how I think of trade, and particularly international trade, I mentally put it into three big buckets. The first is discovering the opportunity. It's quite easy for a a startup business to promote themselves locally, but on the international stage, it is really hard to discover what markets exist and connect. And this is where governments can play a key role in removing barriers and connecting people through trade delegations. Chambers of Commerce are also a great example of an organization that lets people discover opportunities and creates the networks that are needed for trade. The second way I look at trade is there's then a logistical flow, moving goods from A to B, 
providing a service remotely. That needs um, often recognition of professional um, competency, so qualifications. Again, that is a, an area that trade facilitation agreements can make easy or hard. And it, if there's a flow of goods, there's also such documents as bills of lading and customs clearance documents. Virtually every country has a different standard. Within countries, some regions have different standards. These can be very complex, and today they, many of them still require a wet ink signature. One of the evolutions that I'm really keen to watch is the move to purely digitalized flows of information that run parallel to those logistical flows, where different government organizations and shippers and logistics partners can trust each other using technologies such as blockchain and non-repudiation. The last step is the tax and compliance flow. This includes such things as the invoice that lets people get paid and the reporting of indirect taxes, VAT or sales tax to the different governments. And again, this is an area that I'm seeing a lot of movement on. You've got the e-invoicing mandates in countries such as France. You've got the move to um, wider adoption of tax audit files. You've got the requirements of digital record keeping to support e-invoices, for example, making tax digital in the UK. And all of these are enabling a more digital joined up flow of trade internationally. How can we leverage, leverage technology to digitize trade and enable more SMEs to participate in cross-border trade? I think one of the biggest things that I talk about when I talk to customers, particularly the smaller customers, is they tend to think of accounting software as something for their accountants. Actually, understanding what's going on and appropriate technology to support a business flow is critical to actually taking advantage of opportunities. So, for example, at Sage, we support electronic invoicing and all the VAT flows that you would expect. And we integrate to those logistical flows where there's best of breed capabilities or customs documents. If um, companies use let's call it the traditional on-premise software that they have to update regularly, that almost creates barriers because the speed of, of um, change is constantly accelerating. We hear that everywhere all the time. And one of the things I'd recommend to everybody is look at cloud software, whether it comes from Sage or anybody else. Vendors can then update the software quickly as the rules change. And that means that businesses can take advantage of new trade opportunities as soon as their software partner enables the appropriate data flows. Can you touch on what governments can do to uh, remove barriers uh, to SME's participation in international trade and uh, how we can actually leverage new trading partnerships to help SMEs uh, to, to trade more internationally? So many people, I think, view government as big government and it can create barriers and obstacles. But actually, Gary, um, government can remove many of those barriers. So a lot of the free trade agreements that we see lately have got the digital chapters in them that um, mean that there's the free flow of data and the, the um, no requirement to disclose source code, etc. There's also the mutual recognition of professional um, qualifications or frameworks for mutual recognition, which means that people can provide services remotely. That's increasingly important because there's very few pure goods nowadays. Many things are a combination of goods and services. Many things that you might think of as traditionally um, a good, a television, now has an embedded service in it. For example, Sky TV in the UK with a subscription element. 
and which is a service, it governments need to recognise the change uh, of the way things are built and delivered, and focus on trade agreements that reduce those barriers, even when there's a physical element particularly in the small businesses that I see, they find international trade confusing. One of the examples I've been using recently is if you were importing ornamental um, garden bird feeders, it's really hard to work out what the commodity code or harmonized code should be for that sort of item. Is it a garden ornament? Is it an animal feeder? It will change depending on what it's made of. It will change depending on whether it's assembled or part assembled. So it, it can be complicated. And things like low cost or free access to conformity assessments that assist businesses to really understand what the item is, so how well due to be applied, and then to understand what rules will apply to it, um, rules of origin, et cetera, means that government can reduce the barriers or remove the barriers quite quickly, but only by focusing on the the flows that create the, the biggest challenge at the moment. Thanks, Adam. It was really great speaking to you today. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And now I move on to Parm Sangha, EMEA blockchain practice leader at uh, IBM. Parm is responsible for IBM's global business services, blockchain strategy and execution, uh, and is a member of the International Chambers of Commerce's Digital Working Group for trade finance digitization. Hello, Parm. Welcome to Tech UK's podcast. Thank you very much for having us, Jana. Uh, before we start our discussion, could you perhaps tell us a little bit more about your role at IBM? Yes. Uh, so my role at IBM, I, I have actually two roles. Uh, my primary role is the EMEA, uh, the Europe, Middle East, Africa's uh, blockchain practice leader where I, the team and I, we work across clients across all industries who are looking to reduce process friction, release capital, and more importantly, design new business models across new ecosystems, leveraging the real attributes of blockchain. So three things that we're seeing in my primary role is, first of all, in supply chain provenance. We have many engagements where we've worked with the Carrefours, the Renaults, the Mine Hubs, the Equities of the world, um, and how they want to really get that visibility to track and trace goods from source to consumption, not only from a cost reduction point of view and optimizing the supply chain, but also with that same capability is proving the data behind their uh, sustainability reporting obligations that most companies are now having to do. And by having that ability to prove the data and the sustainability with supply chain provenance, we're finding then then that uh, the 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 likelihood of more consumer brand preference rises because then the consumer has more trust in the uh, provider of those services. So that's the first of uh, three in my practice leader role. The second example where we're seeing lots of patterns and traction is digital identity. The German government, uh, Italian, post-Italian and uh, other EU countries are all looking at how to drive more digital identity across their citizens for citizen services and then also banking services that come from there. It's also aligned to 80% of uh, the EU population getting a digital identity as the uh, European Union is proposing by 2030. So lots of uh, work there from the practice. And then finally, as we look at digitizing workflows, 
um, we are also seeing a, a strong pattern in our practice in digitizing the asset that's been exchanged in that workflow. So we're doing a lot of work in advising and collaborating with clients who are looking at crypto, crypto, cryptocurrencies or tokens, you know, whether you're a central bank. And we've done some really good work with uh, on CBDCs with the uh, Banque de France and a few other institutions when we're looking at the tokenization of assets. So that's my sort of primary role where the team and I are working across EMEA. And then my second role is to take all of those learnings that we see at an EMEA level and then take them into my sort of global uh, trade strategy leader role. And that's where I then engage in conversation with governments and regulators about how do you not just digitize, but also how do you digitalize the uh, the workflows and the ecosystems. And that's where we work with the likes of the ICC, as you mentioned, and it's a digital standards initiative, DSI, in how do we go from advocacy to actually adoption of some of these capabilities with blockchain. One of the problems that COVID-19 crisis uh, has highlighted uh, is lack of consistent digitization. Uh, the pandemic has actually heightened the need for digitization of trade and uh, paperwork-based processes are really inefficient and costly for businesses. Uh, why do you think we need to digitize trade and why paperwork-based trade doesn't work? Yeah, paper-based trade, I mean, for, for the time, uh, for when paper came in to help facilitate global trade, it was a good thing. And I, I sort of equate it to wheels. People say don't reinvent the wheel, but paperwork doesn't work anymore. And nor does the wooden wheel that uh, was on carts being drawn by horses. We now really need to reinvent this old wooden paper based wheel that uh, that facilitates global trade and trade finance and need to reinvent it into more of what your latest, you know, rubber and steel wheels, because existing processes and COVID has highlighted this at, at, uh, and shone the light on this, is the amount of people that are involved in any sort of trade transaction. For example, you know, uh, I think there was this study done with uh, TradeLens uh, where uh, they were tracking moving avocados from Mombasa to Rotterdam. You know, they saw that there were 30 trade actors, 100 plus people involved in the movement of a container, 200 different types of information exchanges and all of this taking 34 days to actually get the container from Mombasa to Rotterdam. I mean, that's a that's a lot of touch points that also then is producing. And uh, I think the uh, the SDG goals were saying that uh, and the reports have said is you could save 12 billion dollars worth of paper if you were to digitize a little bit better than what you're doing today. And then the whole um, the vessels and the delays in unloading stock, the demarrage costs, those can be reduced as well. And then all of that inefficient working capital that's then stuck in the system, albeit <laughs> good for banks, but it's bad for the ultimate import and exporter. This whole overall impact of the supply chain, there just needs to be a better way now of doing things, especially now that we're in this digital era. So we need to create a, a new digital wheel. So I think we need to reinvent the, uh, the paper or wooden wheel into a, a newer digital one for trade. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we have technology solutions available to do so. In fact, the deployment of some of the emerging technologies can um, make customs processes more efficient, the topic that we will explore in more detail in our next session, or optimize supply chains. Um, what role do blockchain solutions play in digitization of trade? And what benefits IBM blockchain-based solutions bring to businesses looking to internationalize? 
Yeah, so, Yana, so, so when we're looking at uh, firms looking to go more international and to trade across uh, borders, um, they're looking to do so because they have to try and grow their business. And every SME is getting more and more support to become stronger in how it does business because the SMEs, according to the OECD, accounts for 75% of all employment. Uh, across these countries. It is the growth engine of the economy, but yet the cost of trading because of the paper-based system is too high. And so to internationalize, you have to do one of two things. Um, <clears throat> and a lot, has been, a lot has been made of this recently is, do you digitize or do you digitalize? And, <clears throat> and uh, just to sort of define the difference, if you digitize, you're taking an existing paper-based process and you're going to apply technology to it. The process is still the same, but it's more efficient. So, for example, if you have a trade process, which in the paper world is 10 steps long, you can digitize that process, apply an ERP solution. You can apply some sort of application that works across the, uh, the workflow. So you can go from 10 steps maybe down to six or seven steps. And that's digitizing and just moving documents in a PDF form in the existing workflow or having an application that automates the movement of the data between the uh, the people using the application to execute trade. So you can get a 30 to 35% saving in digitizing. And that, that lowering of the cost then helps the uh, the likelihood of an SME getting access to working capital solutions to then grow their business and then add to the country's uh, GDP growth. That's digitization. Or you can digitalize. And that is then looking at the whole process and then saying, how can I make it work better? And that is where with blockchain, with the attributes of smart contracts, truly distributed ledger technology, consensus models, and the security with the cryptography, and the whole notion of avoiding reconciliations, you can take that 10-step paper process, not just down to six or seven by digitizing, you could digitalize that process and maybe take it down to four or five steps. And we're seeing a 45 to 65% reduction in transaction costs. So when you want to uh, help companies grow, you have to reduce the cost. And we're finding that customers and industries looking at digitizing which is where it's at today, and now beginning to explore digitalization of their workflows, because then banks can offer more affordable services because the cost of transacting is cheaper, the tracking and tracing of the goods is more transparent, and who owns the goods as it's being shipped then uh, is more cost effective for banks to avoid the 40 to 50% rejection rate the SMEs were getting before for working capital solutions. So, so blockchain-based solutions gives you a better level of saving a better level of risk management to then offer better levels of services for SMEs to internationalize. Thank you. Uh, sounds like we all have we already have those solutions available, but they are still not uh, widely adopted. Uh, what are barriers to uh, wider adoption of blockchain solutions in trade digitization or trade digitalization for that matter? 
Yeah, uh, just to just to to touch upon the the, the last point, it is uh, the digitalization with blockchain enabled platforms is emerging. I mean, there are companies like We.Trade who now offer trade finance with a blockchain platform, and there are other uh, platforms that are out there. But you're right, the adoption is is slow because the education to understand the difference between digitization and digitalization is still emerging so when we're looking at how to increase day trade digitization or digitalization then certainly education needs to rise we are seeing that um uh there is a, a one voice which says we need more standards and if we have more standards then we can digitalize or digitize better uh, but then there's another side of the uh, other side of the coin that says, well, actually, uh, there's more than enough standards now to start this process of digitizing to get to digitalization. Uh, and as far as there's, there's plenty of good standards out there that are there for us to use. For example, you know, the ICC's Digital Standards Initiative, it's setting some good guidelines and policies of how to do uh, digital trade, um, going from UCP 600 to EUCP. But the adoption hasn't been as much as it could be, but it's there. The ISO 2022s, that's there. Trade trust is emerging. Uh, as a way of document uh, attestations. Uh, the uh, MLEAT and the Modal Law for Electronic Transactions and Records, that is their emerging as a standard with regards to they're not just digitizing the workflow, but then digitizing the fact that that workflow in its digital form can be recognized legally and you don't have to produce paper. That's emerging. Uh, and, you know, the DCSAs, the BIMCAs, the FIATAs, those trade associations are doing lots of great work with regards to e-bill of leading and how to uh, bring more sort of a frictionless process when you're looking at those kinds of documents which are used in the exchange of uh, value in, in, in global trade. So there's enough here for us to get started. However, the complication is, is that it needs a little bit more orchestration. And it needs more orchestration because there's sometimes too many actors pulling in many directions uh, in trying to help trade digitize, but then they're actually inadvertently creating more digital islands. So we're seeing that uh, there's a pattern to be more collaborative to compete rather than just competing alone because um, everybody is in pursuit of the network effect, i.e. grow the market size, not just your market share. And we're seeing that uh, some of these challenges around coordination and orchestration needs to happen on three levels. The first is just to think. And that's where guidelines from governments and regulators is key to get the industries moving to say, yes, move forward. We support you. Here are some guidelines to think about as you digitize trade, because Trade digitization means many things to many countries and many actors around the world. So guidelines to think digitization is key from governments and regulators. The second, to design. Um, industry associations like the ICC, like DCSA, like SWIFT are great at creating standards and guidelines for advocacy. Uh, together with academia, um, like the UK Law Commission on MLITA and the work that's been happening there to try and get more countries to adopt, like Singapore. To design, we need then more advocacy from the industry associations. And then really the third one is to adopt. So that's where industries like your importers and exporters and technology companies, they need to come together in the smartest way 
to actually then remove some of those challenges to digitize, digitize or digitalize. So uh, they're the sort of three steps and areas we've seen patterns where there needs to be more focus. It does need facilitating. And again, the International Chambers of Commerce appears to be best positioned because it represents 45 million businesses to do business better. And that's where to help everybody raise the tide on trade digitalization, we are seeing patterns where identity and having a wallet, which then holds these trade documents, whether it's an e-bill of lading, a certificate of origin, or a commercial invoice, whatever it might be, and how do you share and show those documents in a smart way as you digitize to digitalize the trade finance platforms, uh, we seem to see that that seems to be the way to move forward. So it's not something that happens over the next couple of years. We start today, and we should see the benefits in a couple of years. Thank you, Parm, for your time and joining me on today's podcast. Thank you very much for having us. So in our next section, we will be speaking to Shanali from Fujitsu. Uh, Fujitsu is the UK member and is one of the global leaders in technology and business solutions. The company offers a wide portfolio of technology, services and products to businesses on their journey to wider digitalization. Some of the uh, key technologies that Fujitsu develops uh, and uh, offers to its customers include quantum, blockchain, digital identities, cloud and, and many others. Welcome, Shanali. Thank you very much. Um, so hi, uh, I'm Shanali Tashani. I am a senior business consultant at Fujitsu, um, specializing within the customs and trade um, sector. Before we uh, go into details about the role Fujitsu plays uh, in, the, in the digitization of trade space, it would be great if you could tell us more about the trade uh, support service, one of the key initiatives that Fujitsu launched uh, in, the, in the digitization of trade space. Uh, great, yeah, of course. So um, the trader support service really has been like a highlight um, of sort of, like you said, Fujitsu's um, sort of work within this sector. Um, it's a really, really key service uh, that's contracted with HMRC, and it's essentially to provide a way for all traders moving goods between Great Britain and Northern Ireland uh, to continue to, to be able to do that while submitting digital declarations uh, into CDS, which is the new custom system operating in Northern Ireland. Um, the reason that this was key you know, for that Northern Ireland um, sort of section of trade was simply because the Northern Ireland Protocol came into effect uh, sort of post-Brexit on the 1st of January last year, whereas um, sort of the rest of uh, the UK's trade with the EU, especially, you know, things moving from like sort of Great Britain onto mainland EU, that's being governed in a slightly more transitioned way uh, according to the uh, the trade agreement. So, so there was kind of an immediate need to help traders with, you know, how requirements were going to kick in on day one. Um, and it was really important um, for not just Fujitsu, but our consortium of partners uh, working with HMRC to sort of understand what the various journeys were. You know, what does it look like from the smallest trader to the largest trader? Um, because it was so many new things happening, you know, for some traders uh, who, might, who might have only traded within the UK and Ireland, they would never have had any customs experience. And suddenly, you know, their, their shipment of cheese or something that goes across once a week now needs customs paperwork, um, you know, sort of what we call the defra dira side of things, you know, certificates to move uh, meat products, food products, et cetera. And all of this had to be done for every single journey, as you said, from day one. Um, so a huge part of what the TSS 
really did, like you said, was firstly, how do we digitise what has always been a very historically paper-based system? So a huge amount of work went into creating the portal, tradersupportservice.co.uk, setting up all of the sort of front end of what it would look like from a user interface in a way that was like intuitive and would actually make sense, uh, as we said, you know, in lines of business um, sort of processes. And then it was kind of the understanding of, so who's going to interact with the system? Do we make the hauliers the first point of call or will it be the traders, et cetera? Um, and for those of you know who are kind of familiar with the trader support service, we ended up kind of defining a system that meant the haulier would log on first to complete the, the declaration, which meant we could in one go kind of clear off the safety and security declaration that's needed and also begin the customs declaration, meaning that the trader wouldn't have to log on until the goods had already moved and then they complete the second half of the declaration. So we really worked hard at streamlining that entire process. Uh, and as I said, all completely digital, you know, the service is live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and it, you know, it's there to exactly support people doing their business processes. You know, if goods are moving at five in the morning, you can do those declarations at your own convenience. Um, and in the, you know, it's been just over a year of being live now. Uh, we're really proud of the service that was stood up. Um, the Fujitsu Consortium now supports over 45,000 registered traders on the TSS. Um, we've submitted something like 5 million declarations and it's con we're constantly evolving the service. Um, so there are still new functionalities coming out. We're still doing running service enhancements, um, you know, and it will continue to do that until we hit that steady state of what's expected for all those traders moving goods. Um, so it's been a really, really, really sort of proud moment for, for everyone within the consortium, not just Fujitsu. Um, and, you know, when, when we think about especially that SME market, uh, as I said, you know, for many of whom who would never have had to deal with customs or may have dealt with it a bit. And suddenly not only are we saying that they've got to add a new layer of complication, they need to interact with a new brand new system, et cetera. Um, we really tried hard to cover that in our guidance and training. Uh, our outreach has been ginormous. So, you know, we've really, really tried to reach uh, every trader in every way, whether it's talking to trade associations, running in-house webinars. We have a weekly bulletin that goes out. Um, we're really, we really did try to kind of help everybody understand what the new requirements were, what they meant, um, what is it that you now needed to do and where to find the various bits of information to kind of complete that end-to-end -end journey. Um, so yeah, so as I said, it, it's been a it's been a really really great year of seeing the trader support service, and you know we've really seen uh, sort of the perspectives of traders change. You know, it went from being sort of the TSS being the face of everything that was changing uh, to suddenly you know we've been getting a huge amounts of really, really positive feedback uh, because we did sort of go above and beyond to not only digitise the process, but wrap, wrap it with a really, really strong educational layer. What were the key lessons learned from the Trader Support Service launch? Any areas you have identified where technology solutions could uh, help fill a gap for traders? And could you talk us through the digital solutions you have developed to help SMEs trade across borders? Uh, yep. So... So TSS has been, it's been a really, really great journey. Like I said, it was lots of new things happening at once, new customs processes, um, new systems, everything kind of needing to be learned from the ground up. Um, so I would definitely say one of the key lessons has been understanding that you might have a process that's defined, but helping a trader to understand that in a way that suits their business is really important. So, you know, not just talking kind of in customs jargon um, and really understanding which stakeholders do what. Um, as we know, supply chains are extremely complex, and that's before you start adding in all of the new customs processes that are required. So, you know, in an average end-to-end -end journey, you've got a supplier, 
uh, there's a buyer, there's multiple hauliers who might move those goods, there might be goods being processed, and all of those steps require the right levels of compliance and the data, most importantly, needs to move. Um, so one of the things we're definitely seeing coming up uh, as we look more towards um, goods that are moving from Great Britain into, uh, into the EU uh, in that sort of the staged uh, transition that's happening, is it's very clear that there are, not only do you need to have all of the data up front, but even if you've got all of that correct, which is, you know, no small feat in itself, uh, as it, like I said, it involves going as far up the supply chain right to the source, it's also managing to constantly get the right data in the right place. So for an average movement, you're going to likely have multiple duplicate entries to multiple government systems, uh, whether it's, you know, GBMS, whether you're going into chief or CDS, whether you're having to interact with DEFRA, DERA, any of the EU systems. It's constantly, uh, as a trader, you're putting in the same sets of data, which is not only, I guess, frustrating from a sort of time perspective, because it is duplicate data, but it's also quite frustrating because each of those systems might interpret the data in a slightly different way, which means if you're a trader who's new to this, everything feels like it's constantly kind of, uh, you know, going wrong because you'll be getting error codes back, etc. But, it, you know, even more so if you're if you're a trader or a freight forwarder or a business that has set up a customs department, you're having to manage huge amounts of data just in order to facilitate a single journey. So I would definitely say that these have been very key pain points that Fujitsu is really trying to understand how it can use its own network to help uh, support. Um, so what we've actually done kind of following all of the work that's been done on the trader support service, or like you said, all of the lessons that have been learned, we've identified a few areas within this where we really think we could help fill some of those gaps. Um, so Fujitsu has launched, you know, put a huge amount of investment within to the customs and international trade space. And we created a whole new account line um, called the Digital Trader Services. And it's essentially to say, OK, well, we've spent a really long time learning about customs and trade processes. We've understood the regulatory environment. And now we're trying to help see where technology could help automate some of these uh, processes, especially in terms of getting the data right once and being able to multiply that through the systems uh, without needing kind of a manual input every time. So within uh, DTS, we've launched our smart custom system. This is essentially where it was thinking about how much data was needed to complete a declaration. How simple could we make that data set? Um, so, you know, definitely sort of forward looking at, as we said, for the for goods moving between GB and the EU, it was thinking, actually, if you can tell us the most basic set of data, including the values of the goods, you know, the descriptions, the commodity codes, could we then populate a huge amount of that data for you? Um, not necessarily kind of completely doing the declaration for you but using your data to auto populate uh, the ones that are the most obvious you know how can we tell you what your commodity codes are can we tell you what uh, pnr codes you might need any restrictions any certificates etc and make it as smart as we can and we've really really seen great uptake on that um and as I said, you know, it's it's as simple as just automating the amounts of data that you need and doing it in a way that's held digitally for you to constantly view throughout the journey. Um, we also spent quite a long time looking at that supply chain end of uh, end of things. So because for so long our trade has been so heavily interlinked with the EU, majority of that moves across the road freights. Um, you know, it's it's trucks crossing on the ferries or on the Eurotunnel and constantly being driven over. So suddenly, you know, you've got this whole new environment of goods that work perfectly just in time. There is, you know, it's very hard to get them to stop for checks. And suddenly, you know, if you've, if you've got drivers who link all the way across the EU, they might not necessarily speak English as their first language. They're suddenly having to hold huge amounts of paperwork that they don't really necessarily know which uh, goods they are linked to. So it's kind of thinking about how can we help that end of it? 
So we launched a service called Atomi Freight, uh, which is essentially our version of a smart freight solution. It's, um, you know, it's a supply chain solution which creates a digital twin of that freight vehicle. So, you know, what's, what goods are on that vehicle? Uh, where, did, where is it starting from? Where will it go? Will it make any stops along the way? What documentation needs to be wrapped around it? Um, and we kind of link it all digitally. So, you know, a goods manifest, any of the additional documentation, whether it's certificates, et cetera, linking it all to that vehicle and tracking it in real time. And we found that's offered huge um, supply chain benefits to the users that we've been piloting with. Um, you know, even things as simple as now we know when our goods are going to arrive, we can sort out our loading bays. We can allocate the right amount of staff because we can see when that's coming all the way across um, you know, the various ferries, has it missed its sailing? So it's been really, really great to kind of see that um, the trial that we've run in Northern Ireland really, really show some key benefits. Um, and now what we're really hoping to do is be able to link our smart custom solution with Atomi Freight and be able to help automate some of the customs declarations and link it all together. So suddenly not do, not only do the stakeholders within this supply chain, so the haulier, the freight forwarder, the port operator, but also could we share that data with government? Could they have an access to a dashboard that says, okay, for anyone using the Atomai uh, freight solution linked to Smart Customs, we can see where that uh, vehicle is, what goods it's carrying, has all the compliance been done, and we know an, an ETA of when it's going to arrive at whatever UK port of entry or exit. So suddenly, if you can show government that data in advance, can these goods be pre-cleared, meaning can we move checks away from the border, which I think is probably the most key part of what we're trying to do here. You know, how can we help use technology to provide the data in advance of arrival to allow government to pre-risk or pre-clear the goods etc uh, to essentially make things move as smoothly as they can um, through the border you know in a frictionless way as possible. Yeah I'm always amazed how technology can make our lives easier and this is I think a wonderful example of how technology solutions can be applied to trade and make it more cost and time effective, also more transparent and easier for businesses to optimize supply chains and also do their planning. So it's really, it's a wonderful solution. Um, just kind of uh, looking looking forward, uh, where do you see the industry heading? Uh, what do you think where the UK will be in terms of digitization of customs and border processes in the horizon of the next five to 10 years? And uh, what, are, what are the Fujitsu plans uh, in this space? Thanks, Anna. Yeah, um, so, so, so lots to kind of cover in that question. Um, I would definitely say when you look at sort of what's in the UK 2025 border strategy, one of the clearest aims is for the UK to establish a single trade window, which would, which is absolutely the best in class. When you look around the world at the top trading nations, you know, you automatically think of the Singapore you know, Australia, the US, etc. And all of them have in common this kind of aspect of starting to digitize that view of what's moving across the border. Um, you know, the ideal would be to have a single view of the border. So not just trade, but goods, people, passengers, etc. Everything being viewed in an easy place. Um, but sort of just focusing on the trade aspect of it, you know, one of the core functions of a single trade window is the sort of single sign-on. So you as a trader would sign on to one system you would put in your data once and it would be shared in a secure way to multiple government users, agencies, etc. So instead of it being, you know, currently I as a trader, I need to log on to DEFRA to get my sort of EU health certificate done. I then need to log on uh, to Chief or CDS or TSS and complete my customs declaration. I then need to log on to GVMS to do to track the movement across the, the you know, the ferry journey. 
what we're trying to say here is actually, can you provide a much simpler set of data once and can we replicate that in the way that you need so that all government agencies can exactly, they can choose what, you know, what they need to do. Do they need to intervene? Do they need to pull it up for inspection? Or can we actually wrap a trusted trader framework around it and say, you know, whether it's a tier one, tier two, you know, you could have as multiple layers within this, but it's that view of, you know, the most trusted doesn't necessarily need to be the largest organization. You know, can you have a trusted SME who may have less control over their journeys than, you know, say a conglomerate, but can also prove to it their highest degree that their goods are constantly sealed. They've done all their compliance. What's what are the levels of tiered trusted trader status you could have? Uh, linked into this digital wrap of a single trade window um, you know that is the like I said the absolute ideal and you know the technology absolutely exists I think you know to some degree we proved that with TSS you know we digitized a process that had never been digitized before we linked it up to a huge number of government services and we're constantly facilitating that and all of the data is stored at the portal you know there's no need to print documents and um, there's no manual interventions here other than when you sign on to the portal to complete your declarations and, you know, as I said, with our Atomai and our smart customer solution, the dream would be uh, whether it's Fujitsu or a consortium of partners or a wider, you know, a, a, as it goes up to market, it's that view of there will be so many technology solutions providing clear benefits, to both industry and government. How can you link them up to provide, you know, that kind of end to end view? How can you do it in a way that's meaningful to both the trader, but also provides government with this much clearer view of what's moving where and when? And then it's kind of coming back to those same principles of, if you can share that data in advance of arrival, which these solutions enable you to, do you ever need to stop that journey? What what are additional ways that you can ensure that those goods moved in are the ones that are stated on it? Can you use a smart lock? Can you use a smart seal? Will you have an authorised officer perhaps helping to lock at the end of it, uh, at the beginning and end of the journey? So it's kind of looking at how we can use those solutions to help the um, UK government achieve their 2025 um, aims. And especially, you know, Fujitsu and our consortium, we've, we've been really lucky to have been interacting with huge numbers of, as I said, you know, whether it's academia partners, global experts uh, within the customs and trade space, a huge number of cutting edge tech partners. You know, we're kind of built up this quite strong consortium of what is best practice? You know, what could we do here? And, you know, we have, we really do believe that using Northern Ireland almost as a sandbox um, to kind of test some of these um, solutions, et cetera, would be ideal for the UK government because ultimately it is sitting within the UK customs territory. So, you know, it's, as I said, it's the technology is there. It's really how we link them. And I think looking forward, I think there'll be a huge number of technology partners who will be waiting to kind of see uh, which direction the government does choose to go in. But I think, you know, whether it's an ecosystem of trust um, all the way up to a single trade window, I think it's this understanding of link technologies that exist now to provide government with a clearer view of what is actually moving and ultimately help just, you know, get rid of all paper processes that customs and trade hold um, and enable traders to prove themselves as trusted, you know, move the haystack away from the needle. Uh, and that way we can, we can have a much better view of what it is that's moving maliciously or high risk across the border. Wonderful. Sounds like a paperless future to me, Shanali. <laughs> I can hope <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Fingers crossed for that. Um, thanks, Shanali. It's been it's, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Digitization of trade is one of the topics we will be exploring throughout 2022. 
If you would like to learn more about Tech UK and Tech UK's international trade program, please visit techuk.org or reach out directly to me at jana.psarska at techuk.org. Thank you and bye for now. <laughs>